Most people would agree that 2022 is a rough road. The good news is there are five new savings and tax rules that could help boost your retirement savings. We've got the details next. Welcome in to your retirement with Sam Jones. Welcome to your retirement. I'm Chuck Caton, along with uh, Sam Duell, Andy Schooler, Luke Benabel of Dual Financial Strategies, where you get that retirement lifestyle review at no cost, no obligation. And of course, uh, uh, the year saw record-breaking inflation, as we all know, combined with volatile markets that have many of us looking at our 401ks, I'm sure, and wondering what we could do about it. So it turns out the IRS and the passing of the SECURE Act 2.0 has opened up at least five ways for us to perhaps recover some of these losses. And it might give you a chance to capitalize on the upswing of the market. And, of course, Sam, uh, 2023 uh, is, uh, well, we hope a little bit better from a lot of different standpoints. Out with the old, in with something else. And, uh, of course, what we have to educate people on with all these changes uh, for savings and tax rules is that income brackets and withholdings uh, have probably changed a little bit here. So uh, let's explain. Yeah, uh, the first first thing I'd want to tell you before we jump into this here is we do and have a consolidated um, tax reference sheet that we put out every year, and that is available now for 2023. If you would like a copy of that, it's available to anyone. We need you to email us, and you can email info at dualstrategies.com, D-U-E-L-L strategies.com. So info at dualstrategies.com, that's going to go to Rick. And just ask Rick if he would send you a PDF of the 2023 consolidated tax piece. So, but one of the things that um, you may already be benefiting from, uh, if you noticed a bump in your net pay after January 1st, it's probably a good chance it's connected to a package of adjustments that were made to federal income tax brackets and standard deductions by the tax agency because those changed. Um, so tax tables adjusted by the IRS, that establishes how much is withheld for federal taxes. When you talk about a tax bracket, that's what percentage is going to be withheld. How much are you going to owe? So when the brackets increase, meaning that there is more allowance for you having income within that particular bracket, well, then withholdings go down, which should result in you get a little bit of bump in your take-home pay. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting and very uh, appropriate. Everybody's looking for those breaks, finally. And, of course, Andy, uh, tax deductions are going up as well uh, for uh, both single filers and married filing jointly. That's absolutely true. I mean, at least we get to have an increase in that area. So standard deductions are going up. And though the effect may not be felt until you file in for your 2023 taxes next year, taxpayers could get some relief. So married couples filing jointly will see their standard deduction go to $27,700, which is up $1,800 from 2022 year tax deduction. So the deduction for single fires is also going up from $900 to $13,850. So that's at least handy um, for what we're doing since most people cannot itemize any longer. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the itemization is uh, is over, and I just wish there was even more tax uh, simplification in that we have a flat tax, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But, uh, uh, Luke, I guess higher contribution limits for retirement plans are in the offing as well, and that's good news for savers, uh, especially when you're looking at your 401K or uh, other uh, savings uh, vehicles through your employer. It is good news because that means you, we can sock more away. If you're feeling like you're behind, um, you can you can contribute more. 
Um, so the caps for employees participating in company plans like 401ks, 403bs, most of the 457 plans, and even thrift savings for the government workers, they're up $2,000 over last year to 22500 So now you can contribute 22500 And you can also do a catch-up of an additional 7500 if you're over the age of 50 into one of those buckets, meaning total you can put thirty thousand dollars away and then in addition to that you can also add and make contributions to your iras iras roth iras um, that has increased to sixty five hundred dollars a year if you are under the age of 50 and they will allow for an additional one thousand dollar catch up if you are over the age of 50 to seventy five hundred dollars for this 2023 tax year. All right, we're talking about five new savings and tax rules here with uh, the uh, fine folks at Dual Financial Strategies, Sam Dual, Andy Schooler, Luke Van Abel, that uh, you could take advantage of for this year. And of course, you can always take advantage of their no-cost, no-obligation sit-down at 866-203-7486. They want to help you to and through retirement because they are fiduciaries, and that means you come first in their book. Well, what do we mean by a seller's market here, uh, Sam? I know uh, from an equity standpoint, uh, 2022 was a very rocky road. It was up and down and all around, I'd have to say. But what do you uh, think about uh, the early goings here in 23? Well, one of the changes that uh, that's being made has to do with your ability to sell appreciated assets and potentially not have as much of it taxed. Now, oh. when we talk about something like that, um, Keep in mind, we're talking about non-IRA accounts. IRAs, 457s, 403Bs, 401Ks, those are all called tax-deferred accounts. There is no tax loss advantage to those accounts. You can't write off a loss in a uh, in an IRA or anything, and you also are not subject to individual taxation on it because all of those dollars are taxable. What we're talking about here is non-IRA accounts. And along with that comes something called a long-term or a short-term capital gain. So that is the amount of money that you have made or lost on that particular investment. So for 2023, uh, the income thresholds for there to either be 0% long-term capital gains tax, 15 or 20% has been raised. So depending upon your taxable income, you've got a better chance of paying no tax on profitable assets you've held for more than a year. And also because many of you suffered losses in 2022, you may be able to offset some of those potential gains with losses you've incurred. They call that tax loss harvesting. If you have questions on that, you can certainly give us a call. Uh, We can talk about it when you come in for your retirement lifestyle review, or if you need to see what the new uh, threshold limitations are. Again, if you want to shoot us an email, at info at dualstrategies.com. Make that to the attention of Rick. And just ask Rick, just tell him you were listening to the show on the weekend. Uh, and Sam said uh, that we would send out a PDF of our 2023 tax consolidation sheet. And we'll be happy to get that in your hand so that you can see how that would affect you. Why are they being so benevolent here? Uh, the government, the IRS, uh, you know, the, the federal tax situation here. I just kind of, I don't know if there's, if that's a, canary in a coal mine or whatever the appropriate uh, uh, figure of speech is. Well, a lot of it's just is due to the inflation, the, you know, yeah. substantial and severe inflation that we've that we face. So uh, they've changed them for those. That's the biggest reason that we're seeing more increases in standard deductions, that we're seeing tax brackets expand uh, is simply because of the 
you know, the tremendous inflation that we've seen. And they're starting to put some rules in place now uh, that will have them index these numbers for inflation. It's always been kind of an arbitrary process for them. Um, so they're actually what the IRS is doing is, uh, you know, maybe moving slightly into the 21st century. <laughs> I mean, they're still mostly embedded in like the 19th and 20th century. But right. They're, they're slowly moving that way. And someday they'll probably stop doing everything with the pencil and an eraser, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, Andy, we have some good news for those turning 72 this year because that used to be after 70 and a half. 72 was uh, the uh, age, uh, the minimum age to start taking required minimum distributions. But since Secure Act 2.0 was passed uh, several weeks ago, we've got a change. We do, in fact. So the age where RMDs became mandatory is now 73. So if you haven't started collecting your required minimum distributions um, and you are due to do that because of your age um, being 73, now you'll start that this year. However, um, if you have already started your required minimum distributions last year, you are grandfathered in and you will have to continue to keep going with your RMDs. But if you have not reached the age of 73 or reaching the age this year of 73, then you are safe and will not have to take that required minimum distribution. Um, So they have changed this multiple times and I can't tell you why. I'm sure it has to do with money on the backside, and I'm assuming that's because they get to take out, as we age, they get a bigger percentage every year. So my guess is is that by waiting, you technically have a bigger pot of money for them to collect out of, and therefore they get more money, but that's just my impression of it. So um, I know that it's projected to go up even further. A decade from now, the mandatory RMD age goes to 75 Granted, they could change that at any time as well. And a 2024 change eliminates RMDs for Roth accounts in employer-sponsored plans like Roth 401ks. Um, But for RMD procrastinators, there's still more relief. The penalty for failing to take your RMD has dropped from 50% to 25, which is kind of shocking. Well, that's right. Oh, they've got a heart. Uh, so, but twenty five. I wouldn't go that far. No. <laughs> no, I know. I know some loan sharks. Well, anyway, that uh, would say that that's uh, just about what they uh, would do the same thing. Uh, anyway, uh, Sam, uh, it's all about a plan, and it's what dual financial strategies can do for our listeners with that uh, retirement lifestyle review, right? Yeah, that's what you're looking to do. I mean, you you just have to start looking at the entire. Uh, you know, the entire makeup of your retirement. And and this is one of the mistakes that we see people make and we often see uh, other advisors make is that they look at things in a vacuum or they don't look at things in the context of the entire plan because you come in and you say, well, when should I start taking Social Security? When should I start withdrawing from my investments? Which investments should I withdraw from? And the answer to that is a solid, it depends. It depends on multiple different factors. What are your income needs? What are your tax brackets going to do? Are you going up in a bracket? Or are you going down in a bracket? What is the roll-up factor on your different investments? What's the roll-up factor on your Social Security? There is no singular answer to all of these things. That's why you have to have a plan, and that's why you have to have a flexible plan, and you also have to have a firm that has the flexibility to work within that plan and make these changes as they're needed and understand why they're being made. Give Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, that's right. Give them a call at uh, 866-203-7486. If you're in the Green Bay area, the Appleton area, anywhere in the Fox Valley, it's all about no cost, no obligation to sit down and have that retirement lifestyle review done for you as you're approaching retirement with either Sam, Andy, or Luke uh, here at Dual Financial Strategies with over 20 years, 22 years plus of experience uh, in 
uh, the uh, retirement planning world. Once again, it's 866-203-7486. Don't procrastinate. Make that uh, toll-free call and uh, the no obligation uh, and uh, call at 866-203-7486. It'll be no cost, no obligation to you. What are we going to come up with next here? I, I think this is the Pittsburgh segment, right, Sam, where we have a confluence of streams. We have the yeah, Allegheny, the Monongahela, the Ohio, but we're doing it in a financial sense. Yeah, we're going to talk about income streams next because a successful retirement plan has to have multiple income streams. Now, there are plenty of strategies to achieve the cash flow you need in retirement, and one of them happens to be an annuity. Folks, love them or despise them, it doesn't change the fact that annuities are a solid tool in the retirement toolbox. We'll unpack the pros and cons when we come right back. Once again, for Dual Financial Strategies, Chuck Caton here with your retirement. And we have in studio Andy Schooler, Sam Dual, and Luke Van Abel. And we're going to be talking uh, uh, about uh, revenue streams. And a lot of people want a river with a waterfall when it comes to that at uh, retirement time. And annuities can be a smart investment to help that for the right person under the right circumstances. But they're neither a financial cure-all, uh, nor they are an investment that should be viewed as taboo uh, either. So I guess, Sam, it begs the question, uh, when we talk about annuities, it's a, a polarizing subject. Uh, but the first thing people should ask, is it right for me? Yeah, for sure. And that is the whole key to all of this. That's how we talk about that you have to have this looked at from multiple different directions. Annuities I've experienced over the last two decades, even just the word is probably the most polarizing word among both advisors and particularly among investors. And interestingly enough, among people on the internet that have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. But it, it seems to be one of those things that people either absolutely love them or they absolutely despise them. And there doesn't seem to be much much middle ground. And that's the problem, folks. If you're dealing with an advisor or a friend or anyone in your world that takes that position, not just on annuities, I don't care what it is. If they take that position on anything to do with retirement, oh, I love this, oh, I absolutely hate this, I'd never do that under the penalty of death, they're biased. And their judgment and their uh, opinion is of absolutely zero value because you cannot take the position on any of these different instruments to that degree and to that amount of vitriol because they're all just tools in a toolbox. So the first question is, is this tool right for you? It may not be. It may be something that you don't want to use, but if you are so short-minded and if someone is so biased that they won't even consider using a tool, well, then you don't have a plan. You have a selective sales process. All right. We have some pros and cons here now, uh, Andy, with regard to annuities. And one of the criticisms is, and I think for lay people who uh, think it's a nasty word or a nasty entity or tool, is fees. So let's uh, unpack what that means. Uh, what are the fees uh, of the different types of annuities? Well, I think you actually, the, the latter part of your sentence was actually the most important part of that. The different types of annuities make a huge difference on what fees are there, how they are assessed. And that's something that we run into quite often. I, just the other day, I met with some new prospective 
clients. And um, one of the conversations that we had was, you know, what's concerning to them, what's fearful to them. And, oh, I don't want to lose any money, um, but I would like to make an average 5% rate of return. And, you know, this kind of went on and, and the wife of this party came kind of out of nowhere and was just like, but I hate annuities. And I said, have you owned an annuity? No, but my aunt did. Well, do you know what kind of annuity she had? No, I don't know. I said, well, there's a lot of different types of annuities. And so without really knowing what type of annuity that your aunt had, it's very hard for me to extrapolate whether that was a variable annuity or if it was a fixed indexed annuity or if it was a fixed annuity, because I have a hard time believing that she lost almost all of her money in a fixed or a fixed indexed annuity when there's no way to do that. And she said, well, I don't know, but I don't like annuities. And so that makes the conversation very difficult because we come at everything from a very educational standpoint. And so when you're talking about a fixed annuity, a fixed annuity is a longer term CD from the bank. It's just from an insurance company. Right. It's going to have a set fixed time frame. It's going to have a set fixed interest rate. The opposite of that is a variable annuity. And variable annuities, the engine that makes them go is mutual funds. So mutual funds inherently have fees. The annuity itself can have additional fees for riders that are attached to it. And then you have sometimes advisory fees on top of that. So yes, you absolutely do need to be conscientious, careful, educated about what it is that you're talking about. And we hear this on the TV and the radio all the time. You should never buy an annuity, but they never say what type of annuity they're referencing. And that's very frustrating because. Well, and they, they say these things just as a blanket statement. statement. Again, I've heard this on the radio before. I've heard yeah. what you guys consider to be just wonderful minds on the radio that talk to you about being out of debt and talk to you about consumer issues that will just blanket say you should never do this you should never do that a they're not financial advisors they've never advised in their lifetime b they're all selling a product right. and c they have no idea what your personal situation is mm -hmm. so whether it's fees whether it's the name of it they don't know so to make that blanket statement is in all reality is very misguided and also not particularly smart yeah we'll do that no. And so when you look at the different types of annuities, fixed annuities by and large do not have fees on them. Now, you might have some surrender charges if you were to take money out of it that was above and beyond either interest only or may, they might have a small 5 or 10% availability. So you're going to have some surrender charges, but you don't typically have fees. Now, on variable annuities, because they can add riders like income riders and lifetime withdrawal benefit you know, or, or death benefit riders, I've seen fees that are close to 5%. And that's before you make anything. So just understand what you're dealing with. Somewhere in the middle of that is what's called a fixed indexed annuity. And that's going to utilize some of the gains of market indexes without the downside losses of the market. That too, can you can add riders to them that have a, a fee on them. Um, so you have to understand that a variable annuity charges fees all the time, no matter what happens, market goes up, market goes down. Fixed index annuities might have a fee if you have a rider. Fixed annuities generally don't have any fees at all. So it's it's very important that you understand what type of annuity you're actually dealing with. All right, Luke, let's talk about the tax ramifications of annuities. Yeah, so on one hand, there are some pros to annuities when we're specifically talking about non-IRA. So those non-IRA accounts, if you have your money in an annuity, doesn't matter if it's fixed, doesn't matter if it's fixed index, doesn't matter if it's variable, as Andy was just talking about. 
there is no taxes on the growth or the interest as it's appreciating in value. You do not pay any taxes in those accounts. Whereas if it were in the bank or in another instrument in the market, of course, as it grows, as it pays dividends, you would pay taxes. But one of the concerns and one of the things that needs to be planned for with annuities then is the income being taxable. Because sometimes if there's one of those enhancements for, let's call it a, a guaranteed income benefit, once that non-IRA annuity has the income benefit turned on and it's starting to pull out of there, well, then there could be and will be some taxes on those gains. So you want to keep that in mind. But the vast majority of money that most retirees have is in retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, 457s, as we've mentioned before. And the tax ramifications in the annuity or in the market or it doesn't matter what asset class we're using, as long as it's remaining in one of those buckets, then the tax implications are the exact same. So the annuity doesn't really do anything different from a tax perspective unless we have this money sitting outside of an IRA. All right, let's talk about another concern here, Sam, with annuities for some people, and that is the lack of liquidity. Yeah, the ability to be able to get to your money is called liquidity. At what uh, depth and what speed can you do that? And one criticism of annuities is that they aren't very liquid, and that is absolutely true. But they're designed that way. They're designed to be long-term retirement vehicles for retirement income. They're not designed to just pillage and jump in and pull half of it out to go buy an RV. That's not what they're designed for. This goes back to, is it right for you? Does it have sufficient liquidity for you? If anyone is talking to you about annuities, you should be having a talk about liquidity and you should be looking again at your entire savings portfolio as a whole to say, is there sufficient liquidity? But I see people get hung up on this where they'll say, well, I'd like to have 50% of the money protected and they've got a million dollars. And we say, well, then we can do fixed annuities. We can do fixed indexed annuities. That'll provide you some protection. We'll give you some benefits for upside potential. Well, yeah, but I don't want to be locked into that. But wait a minute, you've got $500,000 liquid and at your disposal, at the snap of your fingers in a managed portfolio, you've got another $500,000 that the liquidity could be restricted to where on that amount you could only take out $50,000 a year. You have to ask yourself, when was the last time that you wrote a check for $550,000 and had to have it cash like right now, right now? So sometimes this thing about liquidity also becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of a myth inside of your mind that you think you need all of this liquidity and you've never really given any real thought to what does liquidity mean and how much do I really need to have access to. Yeah, and Andy, another uh, criticism very quickly are lengthy and complex contracts with annuities. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it is true. I mean, some of the critics gleefully point out that annuity contracts are decent sized documents, but while that might be frustrating when you have to read through page after page of legal language before signing, it's still not a bad thing. After all, you want the contract to be detailed to make sure that those lifetime guarantees that you have coming to you are in writing. I mean, a few paragraphs aren't going to accomplish that. We want to make sure that these documents hold up in a court of law. And that is to protect you because you have this contract with an insurance company. So that is a good thing. All right. And finally, uh, they don't want to pay you, Luke. 
Some people say uh, advisor commissions. What are those? <laughs> I mean, there's fees associated with most anything out there in life, but one of the drawbacks or concerns for people is the commission that's paid to the agent um, that, that writes an annuity. It doesn't matter what type it is. And where I see the biggest concern with commissions, because we all know that we're going to pay for um, services, we're going to pay for products over time, one way or another. But the biggest concern is when we have so-called... Uh, advisors that are licensed to only sell annuities. I mean, imagine you go to your mechanic and the only tools in his toolbox are a hammer, some nails, and, um, you know, one wrench. Well, he's probably going to do more damage than good, right? If he's just using those tools. So you just have to be mindful of, you know, how does the advisor work that you're working with? If they only have annuities, then they are going to be stuffing those annuities down your throat and trying to make those big commissions. All right. So uh, basically, uh, Sam, what can you do for our listeners very quickly? Well, we need to just sit down and look at your situation. Talk about where you want to go, where you want to be at, and what time frame you want to be at. And making sure that, as my book title notes, that the purpose of what you're doing fits the placement of where you're putting your funds at. That's a retirement lifestyle review. Chuck will tell you how to schedule. Absolutely. That number is 866-203-7486. That retirement lifestyle review comes uh, at you at no cost, no obligation. When you sit down with either Sam, Andy, or Luke at Dual Financial Strategies, it is 866-203-7486. Again, don't procrastinate. Make that appointment either at our Green Bay office, their Appleton office, anywhere uh, you're listening to us here in the Fox Valley. 866-203-7486. All right, we're going to say two minus one, Sam. And what do we mean by this in our next segment? Well, when faced with the loss of a spouse, there are many decisions that have to be made. And a wrong financial decision can be costly. When we come back, mistakes to avoid when a spouse passes away. This is your uh, retirement. Chuck Caton here along with Sam Duell, Andy Schooler, Luke Van Abel of Dual Financial Strategies. And they've got over a score of years of experience uh, in the uh, realm of retirement planning. And uh, they offer you a uh, no-cost, no-obligation retirement lifestyle review when you call 866 866- 203-7486. And most experts agree that when you make financial decisions after a loss of a spouse, it's really not the best idea. So you must let your emotions settle down, calm down, and then meet with your advisor and then you can avoid those costly mistakes. And that is a key because we all know, Sam, that we're here today, gone tomorrow. And uh, to take care to avoid these mistakes after the death of a spouse, we've got some uh, suggestions. And I think that sometimes people, when they get caught up in their grief, really ignore the fact that uh, the tax man doesn't care. Uh, there are some tax implications when you lose a loved one. Yeah, and it's not even ignoring it necessarily, I don't think. It's just not knowing. I mean, you just don't think about this. Sure. You've been married for 35 or 40 years, and you've always been married filing jointly. That's what your tax status was. But when that other spouse passes away, when you roll into that next tax year, you're going to be filing as a single person. And when you see what tax brackets are, you'll see that the tax brackets, the tax brackets, as far as the percentages are the same, but the dollar numbers at which they change are different. So there is a chance, a very real chance, actually, that you will be paying more taxes on the same amount or less money coming into your household than you were when you were married. 
Very true, and we uh, we kind of went over that. Uh, we did go over it in the first segment, talking about the changes in 2023 between married filing jointly and a single filer, and there's about a $14,000 difference in a tax deduction there. How about this one, Andy? Failing to uh, plan for lower Social Security. This is something that people may not uh, have at the forefront of their uh, thinking either, and their annuity income uh, when losing a loved one. Absolutely. It's incredibly important that you have this conversation Ideally, we like to have this conversation when you're starting your Social Security benefits. So when you turn on your Social Security, that is going to determine forever what you get paid. And so what that means to you is if you are married when you are starting Social Security, then the question needs to be, A, how is your health? B, when are we planning on turning this on? Are we planning on turning on Social Security prior to age 66, 67, whatever your full retirement age benefit is? It's an 8% increase every year that you don't turn it on. But what that means to you is that if you wait longer, and typically the husband has had the bigger earnings, therefore he would have a bigger Social Security payment, it may behoove of you to turn on the wife's Social Security and let the husband's, if you can, continue to grow in increase and therefore by the time that something does happen potentially down the road if the husband is true to statistics then um, he would pass away generally first and the wife would be left with a bigger social security check because she is going to lose her social security check so and it depends if you have a pension it depends on how you set up the pension. Did you take that as a decreased benefit over two lifetimes or did you take it for the one earner's lifetime? Because otherwise, if you did that, um, take it for just a single person's lifetime and the husband dies and it was based on him, then that pension goes away. So there's a number of things that we need to take into consideration when we're looking at um turning on Social Security because that will affect you later on, and that is something that you definitely want to make sure you have a plan for. All right, Luke, what about this one now when we lose a loved one? Taking unplanned withdrawals from tax-deferred accounts. That's uh, somewhat of a no-no. Right, and the, the big word there is the unplanned part. Um, yeah. That's that's a really key piece. Many, many unplanned distributions, even if they're small, can really add up over time. I mean, I've heard just recently someone talking about hey, I had $350,000 and all of a sudden now I don't have $350,000 anymore. Well, this person took out pretty close to $100,000 over a few years. Well, magically, you don't have as much money anymore. So we want to be careful with just sort of picking away or taking those one-time distributions because in our head it doesn't seem like a lot, but it can really add up over time. And I think the, the key area here to focus on is having a retirement income plan where you can plan for a reasonable draw where you can plan for having your needs met and then if you need some discretionary spending that can be done but just dipping in and sort of picking away or taking chunks of your retirement can really add up over time and also when it's just you left when it's just a surviving spouse left you really want to consider the tax ramifications the penalties that could be associated with that and thinking forward into the future so that you can minimize those taxes today as much as possible we're talking about uh, when you lose a loved one a spouse uh, what are the financial uh, ramifications down the line and uh, smart decisions need to be made but uh, certainly uh, sam paying taxes on retirement account withdrawals too soon uh, could be a mistake as well uh, i mean we're, we're talking 
something very significant here. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're cashing out uh, a spouse's IRA or a 401k, you don't have to do that when a spouse passes away. Um, you can inherit that account. And in many cases, a surviving uh, spouse could even, you can transfer that tax-deferred retirement account into your own name. So you usually have two choices. You can either take it as your own, make it your own IRA account in your own name, or you can take it as an inherited IRA. But either one of those two uh, would often allow you to further delay taxation if your spouse hasn't reached the age where they're required to take their minimum distributions out. All right, Andy, now we have a situation where some people die a little bit earlier uh, than they should. Uh, they they uh, are younger than 59 and a half. So what are these ramifications here getting stuck paying a 10% early withdrawal penalty when that happens? Well, if the surviving spouse is younger than 59 and a half and needs access to some of the funds in a retirement account, you can transfer that money into an inherited spousal IRA. Um, so from a standpoint of depending on your age, depending on your situation, I'd like to think that there's enough uh, attention that's been taken to address these issues before they come up. But certainly if if you do find yourself in that situation, then it really is important for you to talk to somebody who you feel comfortable working with that can help you formulate a plan that's going to make the most sense for you to make sure that you have what you need and don't find yourself in a position where you're going to be penalized. Yeah, that's one of those May-December wedding things. I think I misspoke when I said the person passing away is under 59 and but it's the surviving spouse, and you might Correct. be married, a uh, 45-year-old lady could be married. What about that, uh, who was it that was 93 years old and married a 45-year-old uh, companion? For, it was some... Uh, professor or somebody, uh, architect no or idea. something. Yeah, it was in the news a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, that's what we're talking about, the older guy, or maybe it's the older woman. Maybe the guy's 45 and uh, the, the uh, spouse, uh, the lady is uh, in her 80s or 90s, whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Luke, well, I'm going to forget that as much as I'm going to say that sometimes forgetting to take a required minimum distribution is uh, a mistake. It absolutely is. We don't we don't want to forget those required distributions because while the penalty has been reduced from 50 percent this year to 25 percent, we still need to get that money out of those IRAs and 401ks. Um, Now, the magic age, as we've talked about earlier in the show, is 73. So the year in which you turn 73 years old, you need to start taking draws by December 31st. Um, You can start earlier, you can take it one time, you can spread it out over the year, but we just need that money to uh, cross the tax threshold. Remember, your grandfather didn't having to do it earlier, though, if you've already started to take minimum uh, distributions, uh, that uh, rule applies to you. Uh, Don't forget to uh, do those uh, RMDs uh, if uh, you're under that old rule of having taken them uh, either from the age of 70 and a half when you started or the age of 72. And that's and why... don't forget, too, um, we're yeah. talking about a spouse passing away, and as yeah. Sam was talking about, you know, funds moving from one spouse to the other spouse, maybe a new account is opened up when that happens because you want to keep it in that new the surviving spouse's account. You don't want to forget an account either. You don't want to forget that rollover account, or you don't want to forget that inherited money. Absolutely, Luke. So, Sam, that means you uh, have to uh, seek advice as soon as possible, and making a mistake by waiting uh, is not good. No, it's not. You go and talk to someone. Sit down. If, if you have an advisor, that's great. Sit down with them. Uh, if you don't, go and confer with someone, maybe a referral from people you know or trust. But here's what I would tell you when you go to seek advice. 
we understand it's not easy. It's very emotional. I, I can't tell you, unfortunately, after being in business for you know over two decades, we have dealt with this situation many, many, many times, and it's never easy. But the one thing I would tell you, do not allow the person giving you the advice to sell you something. Do not allow them to talk you into making big changes. Oh, now we can do or doing something different. I've seen this over and over where you've come to me, you were new, you'd listened to our radio show, you were scared, and you said, well, yeah, the person that I've been dealing with, they wanted me to liquidate all of this and go into something else. Folks, this is not the time to be making major financial decisions. Do changes need to be made? I don't know, maybe. Maybe something else would be in your best interest. However, when you are in the depths of grief, that is not the time to make those decisions. This is a time for patience. This is a time for the advisor to walk you through the process and understand that whatever you and your spouse were doing together, there is no hard set rule and certainly no, you know, the world's going to come spinning off of its axis deadline to get these things done. You need to take care of you first. Absolutely. And that's what you can do for people, right? In a short order. That's what we do. I mean, that's what we do every day. And because we focus so uh, intently and we are so laser focused on retirement issues, that tends to be people that are a little older. And unfortunately, the thing that comes along with that is that people tend to pass away. None of us gets out of this thing called life alive. We understand that. We're empathetic to that. We have handled it many, many, many times, and we are uniquely qualified to get you to and through that period of grief and make sure that you're headed in the right direction with the right advice and the things that are right for you for the rest of your life. All right. So it's very simple, ladies and gentlemen. Just pick the phone up at no cost, no obligation, and uh, give uh, Sam, Andy, or Luke a ring at Dual Financial Strategies at 866 866- 203-7486. That's 866-203-7486 to get that retirement lifestyle review. They'll sit down, review your situation, and uh, even give you that second opinion. If you've been going to a financial advisor that you have a little uh, question about and somebody uh, that you think is giving you uh, uh, bogus or questionable advice, let's put it that way, uh, give Sam, Andy, or Luke a ring at 866-203-7486. No cost, no obligation, and that's where the word fiduciary comes in. It's your best interest that they have in mind for you. Question and answer time coming up next, huh, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just keep asking us the questions, and we love it, and we've got answers for you. All that coming up when we return. This is your retirement, and my name is Chuck Caton, and I am happy to be with Andy Schooler, Luke Van Abel, and Sam Duell of Dual Financial Strategies each and every week because your retirement is important to us. 866-203-7486, that phone number uh, that we uh, told you before the break to get the Retirement Lifestyle Review. And now it's time for uh, the the trio of uh, financial uh, experts here, uh, advisors extraordinaire about your retirement to answer some questions. So, Sam, you're ready to go, aren't you? Yeah, ready to roll. All right, let's go to Michael and Menasha. 
uh, with uh, a coworker recently using the phrase mega backdoor Roth IRA. Now, I haven't heard of this uh, myself, so I'm going to be interested in Sam's uh, answer here. Uh, that phrase mega backdoor Roth IRA, and I pretended to understand what it was, but in reality, I was completely confused, as I. I. Uh, I've heard you talk about the Roth conversions on the show, but a mega backdoor Roth IRA, is that even a real thing? Um. Probably not, Michael. It's it's somebody's uh, cute marketing phrase for something that already exists. Is basically we see this all of the time where somebody acts like, oh, this is this is something new and unique, and nobody else is doing this. Well, there is no such thing as new and unique. Taxes are what taxes are. Roth IRAs are what Roth IRAs are. There's nothing been invented new under the sun. So this is somebody's cutesy way of trying to probably present a product. Now, there are two typical areas where we will hear the phrase backdoor Roth used. And what does backdoor Roth mean? Well, usually it infers that you make too much money to contribute to a traditional Roth IRA because there are thresholds. We hit a certain income limitation where you can no longer make a contribution to a Roth IRA. So how do you still do a Roth IRA? Well, there's one of two ways. You either do what's called a backdoor IRA, Roth IRA, where you just contribute to an IRA account, and then you turn around and you immediately do a conversion and turn it into a Roth. But this makes little sense to me mathematically or from a planning perspective because if you can't contribute to a Roth IRA it means you're in a higher tax bracket so why in the world would you do a $7,000 contribution into a regular IRA and immediately turn around and reduce the value of it by maybe $2,100 because you're paying 30% in state and federal taxes to convert it to a Roth that doesn't make any sense mathematically at all it might be real good for the person that's selling you the instrument for the Roth conversion but it's probably not helping you in a dollars and cents perspective. The second way that people will talk about a Roth backdoor is by using life insurance, using cash accumulation, cash value life insurance. You can do something that we call overfunding on that, and you basically are using an insurance policy, a life insurance policy that accumulates cash value, and you are overfunding it beyond what the premium for the life insurance would be, keeping it within statutory limitations, but building your cash account because one of the inherent um, tax uh, uh, qualifications of cash value inside of a life insurance policy, if it's properly constructed, is that money can be removed from that balance without there being taxes. There is no taxes because you typically, in that scenario, you're either pulling back what you put in, which is your principal or your basis, which isn't taxable to begin with, or you're taking a loan against that cash value, which also is not within taxable parameters for money. So they're probably talking about something like that, Michael. These things are, they're appropriate for some, they're absolutely not appropriate for others. It's something you need to take a close look at personally to see if it makes sense for you. All right, let's go to Andy in De Pere, and uh, Andy's gonna answer Andy's question. One ends in an I, one ends in a Y. Oh, I'm 50 years old, make 65000 a year. My company uh, does not offer a 401k plan, but I recently opened a Roth IRA with a contribution of 10% of my paycheck. Now, is this a good investment for me, and how much can I expect to make in 10 years? I guess you're going to have to put your Karnak uh, uh, hat on here, Andy, for this one, And am I, uh, well, that I'm planning to retire in 10 years. How much can I expect to get? Who knows? Great question. <laughs> Great question, Andy. Um, first off, what I would say is that you... 
at $6,500 or 10% of what you earn in a year, you're actually not maxing out your contribution to your Roth because you can actually go up to 7,500 since you are 50 and over. So I would, I would potentially look at, um, if you can afford to put more money into the Roth, then I would do everything you can to max that out, particularly because it's a Roth. So that being said, I don't know what you're actually vested in. So I'm not sure what you could reasonably make in 10 years based on where that account is or is not. So are we talking, you open it at the bank and you're looking at bank CD rates in us in essence to grow your money are you looking at the market to grow your assets so I'm not sure where your money actually is and I certainly do not have a crystal ball but if you have a limited amount of risk within that account then I would hope that you would have some reasonable growth on that and hopefully we won't have markets like we've had in the last year so sorry to be vague on that but I would definitely if you can increase it up to 7500 I would start there and look for something that has a reasonably um, low volatility account, at least for the first couple of years here, and hopefully we can get through to a better market. All right, Luke, Janet uh, Vombro wants to know, uh, my mother-in-law is 61, near retirement age, and she's got savings, but nothing invested in the way of an employer plan, like an IRA or anything like that. So uh, the initial plan was to uh, live within her means and rely on Social Security. Uh, could she invest in bonds or maybe an index fund, or is there a structured plan that you would recommend? Hi, Janet. Well, the Daughter of the Year Award goes to you, so kudos for watching out for your mother-in-law. Um, having an account of any type and just really picking away at it, not not generally a good a good strategy. Really, what your mother-in-law needs to start doing is is developing a plan, having some structure. Um, what sort of tools she should use is going to depend a lot on. You know, what does she really have now, save for retirement? Um, how much is that? What are her income considerations going forward? What are some of the tax ramifications going forward? Uh, you did mention Social Security. What portion of her income will that make up? So there's really no one strategy. There's no one size fits all here. Um, some things that you can help her work on um, would be first um, determining what her risk appetite is. I mean, if she's been has most of her money in savings presumably she's been pretty conservative so um, you know going to our website or going to another tool like Riskalyze where you can determine what your risk number is is a great place to start again that can be done on dualstrategies.com under what's your risk number the next piece that she's going to want to start looking into are what are her income needs what has she been spending up to this point Will anything major go away or is she going to kind of look to replace the income that she's uh, been making with work? And then are there any other goals she has for retirement? Um, and then, of course, taxes play a part in that. And I'd encourage you too, Janet, if, as you go through this process, and of course I'm being vague just because there's so much that we don't know, but as you look for an, advi an advisor, a fiduciary, someone who's going to work in your best interest for your mother-in-law that focuses on retirement, Come in with her, you know, set up a meeting, call us, call somebody else and come in with her um, if if she kind of needs help with this to have another set of eyes on the scenario to make sure she's making the right decisions going forward. All right, Randy in Green Bay, Sam wants to know what's a good rule of thumb uh, to use when it comes to budgeting for long term care insurance. 
Well, Randy, it's, you know, basically we usually look at that and say, what's the, you know, what's the minimum amount we would want to carry in something like that in order to avoid having our retirement savings devastated? So my rule of thumb usually is just working off of the averages. So in our area, uh, a a long-term care facility for, you know, good care, you're probably $90,000 a year at this point in time. Um, you know, call it a hundred just, just to be, uh, you know, just to be safe. So it's going to cost me a hundred thousand dollars a year for coverage. Uh, and the average stay is somewhere around two and a half years. Well, that's 250 to $300,000 is probably what I'm going to want to have in order to be able to cover myself. So then you just look at your own personal financial situation and you say, all right, could I spend $300,000 for my retirement savings and not have it materially impact a lifestyle or impact a legacy or something like that? Uh, And if you can't, well, then you could look at it and say, all right, I probably need to have someone else assuming some of this risk. I probably need some sort of a policy. Um, Now, you know from listening to the show that uh, we are not typically big advocates of traditional long-term care insurance because we feel like those are policies that are use it or lose it. If you don't get sick and you don't go into an institution somewhere, you've spent tens of thousands of dollars on premiums over the years only to have it never ever be utilized. Not that it's a bad thing that you're not utilizing it. However, in that scenario, we would be more inclined to talk to you about hybrid insurance policies. Those are policies that will provide you with a death benefit first, but they give you the ability to access that death benefit while you're living in the event of a chronic illness where you can't perform two of the six activities of daily living, which is essentially, and in most cases, the precursor to needing home health care or going into full-blown institutionalized care. But the same rule of thumb applies. You only want to purchase the size policy that's going to cover you from a devastating financial event. All right, very quickly, Robin and Little Shoe wants to know, uh, Andy, as a 65-year-old retiring in June this year, I've got about $150,000 in a Roth and about 450000 in a 401k, so it doesn't matter which one I start taking money uh, out of first, or should I just take uh, some from each? Well, congratulations, Robert, on getting ready to retire this year. That'll be pretty awesome. Um, it it matters from a standpoint of taxation more than probably anything. So I don't know if you've started Social Security. I assume you have not because you're still working. Um, so Social Security would come into play. We would want to look at um, what tax bracket you're going to be in. If you're married, how much income do you actually have coming in? How much of your Social Security will be taxed at that point? But most people, when they are looking at potentially drawing from like their Roth prior to their IRA, they might be using that so that they can get income out, but not affect how they qualify for um, healthcare. So you're, you're not in that situation because you are retired or excuse me, Medicare age. So you would be able to turn on Medicare um, and your, your uh, income that you have coming in isn't necessarily going to affect how you qualify for that or if you can qualify for subsidies. So um, that is something that, you know, we've had to plan for with other people, but you're in a little bit different situation. So does it matter which one you start taking from? There might be some benefits to starting to draw down that IRA since we don't know what taxes will be in the future. So I think it's a much bigger tax question than it is just which bucket do I take it from? Um, So 
you know, come and sit down. We can take a look at that and help you plan for what might be the best case looking at your entire picture. All right, planning. That's what it's all about with Dual Financial Strategies. 866-203-7486 is the number to get that no-cost, no-obligation retirement lifestyle review. Uh, 866-203-7486. And remember that Sam, Andy, and Luke are at your service. And Sam, I know you've got some final thoughts as we wrap up the show. It all starts with a plan, and that plan all starts with a phone call. So give us a call, let's sit down and talk, and then join us again here next week, same time, same place. Investment advisory services offered through Dual Financial Strategies, LLC, a Wisconsin registered investment advisor. Dual Financial Strategies does not provide legal or tax advice. Investment advisor representatives of Dual Financial Strategies may only conduct business with residents of the states and jurisdictions in which they are properly registered. Insurance and annuity products are sold through Dual Financial Strategies.